0: If you like our podcast and you want to help support the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Also, you can donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Happening, Or you can donate to us directly via PayPal. All those links can be found in the show notes. And now, it's time to know what's happening. Yeah! What's happening, everybody? Hopping. Hoppening. Right, right.
1: You're pronouncing it wrong already. What's
0: happening? What's happening? You know, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, my name is Shane and-, and
1: I'm Nico. And today we have a very special guest, Jessica Green. She is a Christian anarcho capitalist, a homemaker, and also a podcaster. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys?
0: Uh, we're hanging in there you know the world out on the other yeah. side there is uh looks like it's in flames apparently you know just
2: yeah, staying home. yeah yeah we're all mentally trapped in our homes but i noticed that it's also very like i live in georgia so it's really sunny and nice out where i live and there's kids playing and neighbors talking so doesn't seem that close to the apocalypse from where i'm sitting but nice
1: yeah, yeah the weather got really cold here so i'm yeah. just like this is bad timing i mean i guess it's good timing cuz we have to stay inside but yeah Scared. All I want to do is be out. So, yeah, completely.
2: At least if, your weather is like, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what if um, people found out that the coronavirus or Wuhan virus, or whatever you want to call it, I don't know.
1: That's racist. Um,
0: yeah, no. I know. <laughs> well, but I'm half racist, I guess, because we're both half Asian, so we can half say that. I don't know. So you but, can just
2: say woo. Yeah, woo. Yeah, <laughs> you, the woo virus. just switch off who says it, and I think it works out. <laughs> you say woo, and I'll say <laughs> Yeah,
0: <there you> go. <laughs> Uh, but what if they found out that it's it's very bad in cold weather, so everybody just starts flocking to like Alaska and Greenland and Canada or something. Oh, my God, it's great. It's terrible in the cold. Go flock to the North Pole or something. and
1: Like it kills yeah. all the birds.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, anybody who would follow that kind of advice, you kind of hope they would go to the North Pole. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> see ya. But, you know, as long as you're not coming down to the warm parts where I live, I'm fine. You guys go ahead and go to the North Pole. I'm <laughs> fine with that.
1: Well, <laughs> they,
0: yeah, finally. They, right.
2: Yeah, they say that it's supposed to get better with warm weather, though. So I am hopeful that as it gets a little bit warmer, it's going to get less, you know, less of a big deal because... They say that, and I don't, I, you'd have to confirm this. I'm not sure, but that the Southern pole or the Southern hemisphere is not having as much trouble with the spread. And that's because they're in their summer and their warm months right now. So when we yeah. in the Northern hemisphere start moving into our, uh, warmer time, hopefully it's going to tamp it down a little bit.
1: That's huh? good news for us. Cause it gets really hot here. Like really hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I feel you. I feel that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, one of the main reasons that we wanted to have you on is uh, one of your, you know, like, like you were saying before, you know, you have your own podcast now, The Jessica Green Show.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and uh, one of the episodes, I think it was episode three. Yep, episode three. Which, um, you know, you kind of, well, it was funny because you did a poll and you said, hey, you know, what you want to talk, you know, what you want me to talk about or, you know, whatever. And the thing that won uh, was how you became from, you know. A,
1: like an SJW.
0: Yeah, progressive mm-hmm. leftist to uh, basically an anarchist. And so I listened to it because I hadn't listened to it before, I don't know, a few days ago. Sorry. I know kind of I'm way behind. You're on. Apologize to the podcast I listen to mainly. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty interesting because you have uh, I, I think it's one of the most unique stories, I think, that I've heard, especially from, mm-hmm. you know, not just from a, a left winger to an anarchist, just someone changing. Yeah, some changing <laughs> yeah. political I- ideology to another. So, you know, can you kind of go over that again with us and our audience about, you know, how you went from where you were to where you are now?
2: Sure. Yeah. I've always been like a politically active person, at least since the early 2010s. And I found myself involved in a lot of um, Facebook oriented groups at that time, because that's where most of like the chat atmosphere was going on and especially in atheist groups. Well, I don't know a lot of atheist groups that also don't swim in the same waters as like progressivism and leftism they're kind of I I describe them as two sharks that swim in the same pool Mm -hmm. and so at the same time that I was becoming more involved in the ideas of the philosophies of atheism I was also becoming involved in the ideas of leftism and that was that was happening culturally too was it just me that was going through that that was like a whole lot of people were kind of becoming radicalized by leftist ideas. And we have seen now the result of that happening. But what happened with me and what happens with a lot of people in my position who leave the left is that um, their group turns on them. And that happened to me. I wish I had like all this integrity and I could say, oh, I got really fed up with their BS ideas and I walked out of there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what happened. They, They turned on me and it was horrible. And so it gave me the opportunity Sort of to explore new ideas that I wouldn't naturally have on my own. But when I was involved with that uh, way of thinking, I had actually become an administrator in a Facebook group that had something like 150,000 members in it at the time. So it was like a really big group. I'm not going to mention the group's name because that will generally cause me some problems. But, uh, you know, it was in at least that world, I had kind of like achieved some position and it only took like agree disagreeing with opinions like a single time to have the people who believed in that ideology completely roll on me and something that kind of came into my understanding almost a year later was that the group that I was involved with they actually emulated a lot of what I would call narcissistic cult behaviors and what I mean by that is that when you are involved in an ideological group, they'll start doing something called love bombing where they will, you'll, you'll notice if you start like going and hanging out in like progressive groups or atheist groups, they're super supportive. Like anything that's going on in your life, like they will support you, just even when you're wrong, you know, just like support you, make you feel surrounded by love and acceptance. And, you know, you just really come to emotionally depend on the group of people around you. So when you start stepping out of line with your thinking, or you start questioning some of the normalized thinking there, they'll turn on you. And not only will they turn on you, you, the, the threat of losing that love and losing that acceptance makes you police yourself, you say, oh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to say anything. Some of this seems really wrong to me, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to fall out of favor with my group. I don't want my friends to, to think badly of me. And it, it, it's gotten so bad that that think badly. It's like, I don't want my friends to think I'm a racist. I don't think, want my friends to think I'm a sexist. You know, like really horrible things. And if you step outside what um, Tom Woods refers to as the three by five card of allowable opinions, you step yeah. outside that little boundary and, whoo, man, it's like a crocodile with prey. They just roll off over on you so quick it'll make your head spin. That's what happened to me. You know, without going into uh, too much detail with that, I just uh, found myself kind of uh, homeless politically and kind of without, you know, mooring. And that gave me an opportunity to listen to ideas that I normally would have rejected outright, just because that's the acceptable, normal thing to do is reject ideas that you don't agree with or that don't agree with the narrative that you're supposed to hold on to and supposed to forward. So I listened to, you know, some libertarian podcasts and read some books that were recommended to me. And I really, because I was in this mind where I'm like, I care about poor people, I care about sick people, I want, things to be better, I actually became convinced that um, taxation was not the best method for handling poverty and that, you know, a lot of this was actually theft and this was keeping humans from living out their full destinies and all of the high-minded libertarian ideas that, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people agree with, I started to realize them and I wouldn't have been able to do that if my group had not like rejected me and kind of pushed me out And gave me an opportunity in that way to seek ideas outside of my own.
0: Okay, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Libertarian Country. Libertarian Country is your place for all of your liberty apparel needs. They have t-shirts, mugs, bottle openers, beer koozies, books, and many more. Use our promo code HAPA, H-A-P-A, for 10% off your order. Again, that's promo code HAPA for 10% off. Thanks, Libertarian Country, and thank you for your support.
1: One thing that I thought was interesting is in your podcast, you mentioned a lot of people have like the Ron Paul moment, but Mm -hmm. for you, it was the Rand Paul moment. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Playing that part.
2: (laughs) His neighbor, I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was 2017 this happened. His neighbor um, attacked him viciously. He ended up in the hospital. He had to have surgery. He got a punctured lung, broken rib. It was awful what they did, what his neighbor did to him. And I found out, I, I thought, you know, I live in Georgia, so sometimes old men fight in the yard. That's what happens. And I thought for sure this was just two old dudes fighting. And then I found out it was politically motivated, that this guy had attacked Rand Paul because of politics. I thought, gosh, this is awful. Like any normal human being would say, this is not, how I want my ideas put out in the world. I don't want people attacked because they don't agree with me. And when I started to voice that opinion to my group, that was the thing that made them turn on me, by the way, was that I was supporting Ron Paul or Rand Paul. Now, at the time, I was not the kind of person that would have supported Rand. Nowadays, sometimes I'm like, hey, this, is, this guy's got it you know this guy's Mm -hmm. got the right idea sometimes Mm -hmm. but uh back then he was like you know persona non grata i would have never agreed with his politics but that doesn't mean that he deserves to get beat up to the point where he's in the hospital and when i was expressing this to people i thought were also you know mature thoughtful adults it turned into oh well you're supporting this and you're supporting rand paul which means you're supporting racism which means you're supporting white supremacy and it really got that far like very quickly i'm talking zero to 90. it was oh you don't want rand paul to be viciously attacked and put into the hospital well that means that you support uh, white supremacy that was (laughs) it was like unimaginably fast that's ridiculous just
1: political violence oh that means that yeah you're a white supremacist
2: yeah super fast and um you have to it, it takes a long time to even be able to speak out in disagreement of what you think is right with these kind of people because you have to follow the narrative if you don't follow the narrative you are open for attack that's the whole theory now is that you either are one of us or you're one of them and that ideology that specific group of progressive leftism does not see anyone outside of their ideology as a person who should be protected from violence they believe they can hit you like straight up
0: so basically you know like punch a nazis it's yep. totally fine you know which is hilarious but too, everybody's because, a nazi yeah that, but that's everybody's good.
2: that's the thing they don't make yeah. sure who they can punch are actually nazis It's, you know, Ben Shapiro, they accuse that guy of being a Nazi and he's Jewish. And I'm like, he wears a yarmulke. (laughs) Are you kidding me?
0: Well, the thing too, is that, uh, with like Richard Spencer being like, basically the face of all that for a time, Mm -hmm. the, the the funny thing too, is that Richard Spencer is all, you know, they say he's a, well, I guess he is actually a white supremacist, whatever, but a lot of his, uh political, you know, stances, whatever, are very left-wing and progressive, which is hilarious mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. you know, with his whole, you know. You know um, it's just confusing. Yeah, like environment. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was net yeah. neutrality, uh, just a lot of that stuff. And it's just, you know, he does believe in a lot of the same things you guys believe in, yet because he likes white people more than everything else, <laughs> punch him in the face.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. They use him as the example because he has, you know, opinions that I don't think a lot of people would agree with. Right, and um, Those types of opinions, they don't have a lot of clout in our society and the people who express them openly and frequently They are reviled and so you get to use that against people you disagree with you get mm-hmm. to say Oh, if I call you a Nazi that means anything that you're saying to me is wrong and I am by nature right as though For some reason, I, I, you know, I'm just trying to imagine a scenario where a person who might have white supremacist beliefs is right about the topic, but also has white supremacist beliefs, it doesn't make them incorrect, like Mm -hmm. factually incorrect, you know what I'm saying? So we're turning our culture into a a culture that says you're only right based on your ideological principles. And, you know, of of course, racism is a deeply unpopular ideological principle in our society to express those ideas makes you a pariah, Yeah, you know? So this idea that you're gonna, unless you punch everyone who expresses one of these ideas, you're also supporting that idea is absolutely insane. The, it ju- it's just a way to give people permission to knock down ideas they don't agree with. It has nothing to do with whether the person's actually a white supremacist or not. If you're, if, if I say, you know, that I don't agree with uh, Medicare for all, that could be spun very easily into a person saying, well, you don't like the poor, you don't like this kind of people, that kind of people. Therefore, in the end, I spell it out that you're a white supremacist. But it, it has nothing to do with that. Of course you realize, you know, being also libertarians, that it's more of a financial uh, argument than it is a ideological argument or having anything to do with race. Mm-hmm. But then that person can say, well, you who hates the poor, <laughs> you know, I my ideas are better because you hate the poor. I mean, does that make sense? I feel like I'm kind of yeah. Kinda yeah well,
0: the, well, the thing that you know going on that whenever they kind of just talk about uh, you know race or emotion, or whatever, especially yeah. like you were saying Medicare for all or anything like that, whenever it's
1: any government programs. Well,
0: not only that, but anything like yeah. economic. Yeah, it kind of makes you just automatically go do you even know what in the hell you're talking about? You know, because like <laughs> economics, you know, I mean, I get it, you know, for some people maybe it's kind of hard to grab. I know for me, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of have mm-hmm. to like, kind of like, I'm like a, I don't know what, what what a, the right term would be, but it's sometimes for me, it's kind of hard for me to understand, you know, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to admit, I don't know sometimes, you know, if I'm what the hell I'm talking about yeah. or, you know, or whatever. It's like complex. That, you know, Yeah. And I'm willing to learn too about all, all that stuff. But even like, just recently, there was someone talking about how you know, well, um, you probably know what I'm going to say. Are
1: you talking about the rent? Thing?
0: Yeah, they're oh, like, oh, yeah. landlords, uh, <laughs> complain about their, uh, um, their, you know, whatever. Get a real job, landlords. And and my first thought is, well, that is their job. The landlord, mm-hmm. that's the they're whole
1: providing the space for you to live.
0: Right, and yeah, you know, with all this happening around us right now, and I don't. Know, to me, I'm just thinking, well, do you even like? Can you even think for a second, like, if you were a landlord, right? Someone was coming to you, come in and say, I need a place to live. You say, okay, well, uh, it's worth this much amount of money. And then that person says, okay, I am willing to pay, I don't know, for example, $700 a month for rent. Okay, cool. Deposit, $200. Great. I'll give you $200. And then after that, in a month or two, I'll give you $700 for the rent. Mm -hmm. But then that same person later on goes, you know, that landlord's uh, uh stealing my money. That, yeah. But you just said, you just approved of that exchange, you know.
2: It's a voluntary agreement that yeah. you both participated in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: So like, and like, you know, if you don't, um, I don't know, for other apartments, you, you'd speak to a leasing agent. So I guess mm-hmm. that leasing agent is the landlord, I, I guess, in this scenario. <laughs> I guess that leasing agent is evil, even though you're like, yeah, I'll sign the paperwork and Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I agree with that. One year? Okay, one one year whatever. But,
1: you know, like that argument also goes back to, like, if you don't agree with what they're saying about the right. landlords, then oh, you right. just hate poor people. because You just hate poor people, yeah. 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 Exactly. It's. Mm-hmm. I think the language
2: of landlords is purposeful, too, because in uh, previous communist regimes, people who were landlords specifically were singled out as the enemy of the state.
1: Right. So I
2: think that people are bringing those writings back into po- popular culture, and these You know, college level kids are taking these ideas, not having the historical context behind them and saying, okay, Marx tells me landlords are the enemy. And so I hear that language and it's historic. It's repeated. It rhymes with history. And that disturbs me because it's not as though those regimes haven't taken power in government before. It's not like we're not tipping in that direction. So I I think the popularization of that kind of language landlords being the enemy when we saw in communist regimes them line people up who were considered landlords and dispensing
1: with them i don't want to get too graphic about it you know but yeah i mean they were i've seen people on twitter i know it's twitter so it is like a hellhole already
0: well not only that you can't take you know because obviously twitter is not real life as dave rubin famously says
1: I know, it's
2: right? a reflection, though. Right, it, it, right. Yeah. It's the you know uh, what do they say about the mirror? The reflections are closer than they appear. Mm-hmm. So I do think that Twitter mirrors
1: an aspect of at least the the psyche of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a good. Like way
1: a, in, there, yeah. It's like in. It's a way to look into people's minds who there are things that they wouldn't say necessarily to people yes. in real life. Yeah, yeah like, I think that that yeah, nails yeah, exactly.
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're kind of getting off, a little off yeah. top, That's great. I, I, I love the tangent sometimes, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, kind of going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier about your journey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were also mentioning too, you know, you're listening to the libertarian podcasts and books, whatever. The main one I know for you was the Tom Woods show, yeah. which, you know, I, I do, uh, not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I don't listen to every single episode. But I do try to listen to as much as I can because obviously there's so many podcasts out there. So it's kind of hard to keep up.
1: Definitely. you not a real libertarian unless you have a podcast.
0: Well, yeah, that is true. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the club.
1: <laughs> I know. I joined the ranks. I feel yeah. so good now.
0: Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, it kind of like warmed my heart a little when you said, you know, when you said oh, yeah, Tom Woods is one of the main, if not the main reason why I became who I am now. Because, you know, going from, you know, being a libertarian and anarcho-capitalist as well mm-hmm. is because. And I know you see, it. I don't know if you engage in it or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure you see it. Wouldn't surprise me, but you know, all the shit that he gets, you know, know you're yeah. you're a racist. You spoke at this blah, blah, you know, and blah, 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 and all that, you know, you didn't sign this paper saying you don't, you're not gonna. Oh yeah. What
1: was that? Yeah, didn't sign yeah. a paper. And, and so, like, when I heard
0: that, I'm just thinking here's a, here's a person and, and a woman too, that went from being a progressive SJW leftist to whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh Who like, you know, like you said, I wouldn't have even thought twice about Rand Paul. I would have thought, you know, evil, 100%, not even a, you know, split second. And now you're, now you're saying, yeah, Tom Woods is, is definitely an inspiration here. Yeah. I'm just like, so anyone who listens to that and will listen to this and (laughs) hears this, they're going to go, huh? Well, maybe Tom Woods does have a a, a better grasp of things than my stupid dumb fuck that like, well, you know,
1: calls him
0: a nazi he's called him a nazi and yeah yeah, you know what i mean
2: i come from georgia so if being photographed in a room with a confederate flag is a damning thing then every school child who lived in georgia (laughs) between whatever year and what 1992 when i don't know what year specifically they did away with it i think it was actually more recent it might have been the year 2000 but that Mm -hmm. they removed the confederate part of the Georgia state flag. So that's every school child, millions of people who lived in Georgia who may have been photographed next to a Confederate flag. I mean, that's just something that exists in our daily lives. You know, I can drive down the street and I see them. So I think that people have very different experiences when they come from maybe, you know, city, major, you know, cities and things like that, that don't mirror the experience of the rest of the country. Um, I, you know, I have mixed feelings about the flag, of course, but uh, that would be a lengthy topic for us to get into. Uh, but I don't think that it's damning to be next to one or near one or in the presence of one. And I don't think he personally went out and set them out on the tables. But I do know enough about you know, the kind of people that I used to associate with that all it would take is that picture of him. He's standing at the podium, he's speaking, and then on one of the tables is this little confederate flag sitting there. And that's just plenty of evidence. That's all you need. And that's deeply unfortunate because Tom is a very wise and thoughtful person who has a lot of, um, thoughtful things to impart, especially, you know, being a little bit younger than he is. I, I learn from his experience. He's a, a, a college professor yeah. to, to, for him to benefit people with his experience and his vast knowledge for free, not to avail yourself of that makes you a fool. I, I, you know, and of course I'm a fan, so I'm going to say nice things about Tom, but to, to use that uh, very, very stupid thing to say that Tom Woods is a racist, even though none of the work that he puts out reflects that, none of the ideologies that he puts forward reflects the idea that he would be a race supremacist in any way. This man is the man who taught me about the freedom of the individual and ex- taught, you know, showed me writers who expressed those values and changed my life. In such a way as that I feel that I own myself mm-hmm. as a person, as opposed to maybe the state owning me or, you know, we are the state. That's always the thing. Okay. And I no longer believe that. So I owe that man a debt of gratitude for taking his, you know, free time, basically. And I know he, he monetizes that and he makes money off of that and he should. But for the most part, all of that information is freely accessible to anyone who avail themselves of it. So as far as Tom Woods and the Mises Institute goes, I think they're heroes and I salute them.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny, too, because, you know, you were talking about, uh, I don't know, him monetizing, you know, like he says, you know, the loser brigade and monetizing off because he had a, I can't remember um, when he did that episode with uh, um, Dave Smith, whatever he was talking about, how what I didn't his, get
1: to listen to one of hit.
0: his, I think, I don't know if he said it was his all-time favorite picture, but I'm pretty sure it was one of them where he said, yeah, I had his picture where I'm a, I am a." can not remember if it was in the Bahamas or somewhere, you know, in nice, or somewhere, yeah, hmm. somewhere in there, I can't remember. But somewhere said, I
2: can't afford to go. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he basically said they paid for this. They paid for this trip, <laughs> you know. So if you want to keep doing what you're doing, you know, I'm all for yep. it. If you want, you know, I'll go to such and such place now. But also on the on the Tom Woods uh, subject too, these people that you know go after him, whatever. I guarantee you, they be- they not only believe, but they also agree with Tom Woods probably ninety to ninety-five percent of the time. It's just yep. that little five percent that they go. See, I told you. <laughs> And they, yeah and again it's because you know he's like you say he's monetizing it you know off of this oh and yeah all they don't like
1: that he's popular and monetizing but,
0: but not only tom yeah. they're you know dave smith who's you know mm-hmm. popular and all that uh pete quinones is also doing it, is you know getting all that shit as well yeah and i it, love pete yeah and it's it's funny too because um i don't remember who it was and i don't remember where it was but i know i saw i think dave mentioned it, is probably why i'm mentioning it but he was like, yeah, um, you know, I wish the Mises Caucus or something or somewhere along those lines. I wish they were headed up by, you know, people like Scott Horton or whatever. And he's like, but you do realize that Scott Horton's like best friends with Tom Woods and myself. It yeah. was like, so I guess we're all guilty by association now because I Everybody's
1: guess. Everybody's guilty by associating with everybody.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if they, if they want to ostracize you know, us or whatever, you know, the, the Tom Woods, day the Smith.
1: Mises people, that's
0: totally fine. They are, they're totally into that prerogative. They don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, they all want the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I, it's just, I don't, the whole thing to me is just like, I don't know. I, I I just wish they could all just – why can't we all just work together, people? Come on.
2: Yeah, it's it's a reflection of what's going on in our culture too because you see that polarization across the board. And even when you start getting into the groups that technically agree with each other, you see Mm -hmm. it with libertarians all the time. You're not a real libertarian because you disagree with that 0.0005% of what I agree with.
0: I know. They're so famous for it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that kind of thing also is happening in progressivism and stuff too. So it's every that's group that's out there is just like tearing itself to pieces because I think maybe we're realizing that the team sports aspect of how we were deciding how to run our lives is not the way to do it. Uh, ultimately, it's the individual, or you know, at least you know the family unit is being you know the ultimate unit of civilization, right. and we were taught for a long time at least i was taught through my public education that the state was the pillar of civilization and we got away from the idea that it was the family that the individual is responsible for their own destiny and unfortunately you know as things based on the state are starting to collapse there are people who are going to double down on that idea they're going to say we need more state more state more state and so this doesn't go this doesn't get better before it gets worse in my opinion Unfortunately, but as is described by many wise thinkers, there is that remnant of person who can understand what we're trying to tell them. And I think that's the person that, you know, you're reaching out to. You realize when you're expressing libertarian thought and libertarian ideas that not everybody is ready. Their, uh, their minds are not fertile for this type of thinking. And it's not necessarily their thought, their fault. There's a lot of, uh, training that goes on from childhood that makes you believe the ways, the ways and things that you believe. So, Like for me, for example, I had to be basically be kicked out of my ideological group in order to have a fertile area for this idea to grow. And that's not going to happen for everybody. You know, that's not that that was a bit of luck that came my way. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is important just to speak your ideas and let the truth of them stand on their own, because there are people who, through all of the screaming, are listening for the sound of a whisper. They're listening to hear the truth to ring out through all of the cacophony and the chaos. So the more we can do that and just express our ideas well, without aggression and without, you know, necessarily like you're not a real libertarian if you don't believe this. um, But maybe instead to be uh, welcoming with our ideas and to say, hey, you don't believe the same way that I do, but maybe try this on for size and see how it lands, you know, and maybe you're casting seeds onto rock that will never grow. But maybe there's that little crack of dirt, where a seed can fall in, and that one idea can spring up. And that's worth it. I think um, expressing ourselves well, um, so that those seeds do find fertile ground is the most important thing going forward. And not necessarily to cling to the idea that we can change society, or change civilization, or do any, I, I, I think that's um, polishing silver on the Titanic, as mm-hmm. they say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can put your effort into that if you want to, but I think that's uh, doomed to fail on its own. Um, And you just gotta know that you know human beings are gonna go on after that, and you want those ideas to survive, and you want them to take root.
0: All right, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Infinite CBD. What is CBD? CBD is one of the many compounds inside the hemp and cannabis plants. Although CBD is in the marijuana plant, Infinite CBD uses pure hemp-derived CBD isolate that contains no THC. Our CBD is straight from an industrial hemp farm that produces pure and clean, testing above 99% CBD isolate. I use the Freezing Point Topical Cream and the Topical salve to soothe my muscles, especially my neck and back, and it feels great. Use our promo code HAPA10, P A. and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Again, hop a 10 for 10% off. Thanks, Infinite CBD, and thank you for your support.
1: Kind of based on what you were saying, I was going to ask you, what do you think, um, like in terms of our country, do you think we're going to end up going more authoritarian before it gets better? Or do you think that there'll be like a pendulum swing at some point? So I
2: think there's already a cultural pendulum swing on the way or happening. I see it all the time. But I also think that we're going more authoritarian with the state. The state has every incentive to protect itself and to grow its own power. And it's not uh, there is nothing in a position to stop it. It's only going to be stopped when itself, you know, crashes underneath the weight, the gravity of its own weight. Um, that may have happened with this coronavirus thing because, um, there was a fella, I think his name, I don't want to mispronounce it and I'm so sorry if I do, Jack Probisic,
0: is a
2: conservative uh, person on Twitter, he said that the economy is not something, a switch that you flip on and flip off again. It's not as though we flip it off and then we turn it back on and everything is still working. This is more like slamming, you know, into a wall at 250 miles an hour. Some of the pieces are going to be broken, it's not going to work the same after. So, you know, this could be the thing that does it for all I know, you know. But if not, the state will continue to grow its own power. It's grabbing for power even as this goes on. So I think it's the only... Have you guys ever seen that anime Akira? Yes. Where he becomes such a large thing that under the gravity of his own power, he is destroyed, basically. Mm -hmm. I think that's a metaphor for the state in every way possible. Actually, the more I watch that movie, the more like anarchist themes I see in it, and I'm like, this is about
1: the state.
0: Yeah, but that movie is ahead of its just time I for gotta,
1: sure. Yeah. to show that movie to me, then I didn't watch it. Yeah, it was, oh it's, man,
0: it's it's one of it's one of the um, first like big anime to really kind of mm-hmm. peak its way into the mainstream here in America for sure. Hmm. Like a lot of people that become anime fans, you know, they'll they'll say like, like Akira or Akira was like yeah. the main one of the main yep. ones for them.
2: Hmm. And and the animation still holds up, like it's still yeah. really progressive and it looks really great. So I mm-hmm. definitely recommend that movie. And there are really important themes in that movie that when I, I saw the movie when I was 16 years old, which is, you know, 20 odd years ago. And that movie affected how I think about things today. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend everybody checking that classic anime feature
0: out. So kind of, you know, sticking with the like authoritarian or whatever, um, or maybe not, I don't know. I'm not really sure how this is going to tie saying? to this. Or <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I kind of say, yeah, yeah, but then I'll completely go on. I scroll with
2: right. it, man. Yeah,
0: basically. Yeah. Um, I tend to ramble and tangent, you know, all that good stuff. But um, so whenever you're, cause you do come from a, a, a left wing background or whatever, in terms mm-hmm. of your ideology, do you, cause you kind of were men- mentioning it too, is that, you know, if you do kind of plant a little seed, a seed or whatever, and hopefully it will grow, but who knows? It might not. When you mm-hmm. do talk to those I don't want to say like you know those people, you know. But when you talk to people <laughs> on the, like on the left or whatever, because you're more inclined with that because you've been in that mindset. You, I, yeah. I'm going to assume you probably still have those type of, um, I don't know, like those type like of. You know like, how to. Sp- yeah, how to speak yeah, yeah, their language. I speak, yeah, I speak
2: the language. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So whenever you,
0: whenever you like speak to someone like that who's on the left side or who's a progressive, who's a liberal, even you know, it's kind of like what Scott Horn says. You got to fight the left from the left. And if you're Mm -hmm. from a right wing background, you fight the right, you know, from the right or whatever. So do you kind of do that when you kind of speak to someone on the left wing?
2: Yeah, I do have several friends who maintained their friendships with me even after all of this happened. And although they vehemently disagree with me, they still, you know, understand that we're basically good human beings who want almost the same stuff. Uh, I also think some of them think that they'll convert me back to um, (laughs) progressive leftism, but that's fine. It gives me a lot of material for things to talk about on Twitter, which is, you know, a lot of fun. Um, I think that there are people who have told me that they've listened to the things that I've had to say about poverty specifically about Mm -hmm. the way that capitalist markets have lifted the state of poverty in the world over the last 30 years, which I think it's decreased by over half. Um, there used to be over a billion people who made less than $2 a day and lived in abject poverty. And that number has been decreased by half in the last 30 years. And then there are a lot of things that I look into, like sanitation and things of that nature, which are markers of how wealthy civilizations and societies are. And the, you know, people who have, uh, access to this kind of things has also increased dramatically. So everyone in the world has gotten vastly wealthier because of capitalism and because of capitalist markets. And so if the care here is the care of the poor and that people not be living in abjectly poor conditions, then you definitely have to lean toward markets. That's just, you know, and so I've had some success with talking to people on that level because I think that people who are progressive who are not necessarily like power seekers. And there are people like that. They genuinely care about poor people. And this right. ideology sounds from the outside. It's like, we care about the poor and you're like, okay, well I care about the poor. I don't want to go with you guys. You care about the poor too. Mm-hmm. And you know, and everybody's not an economist. It's like you said, it's kind of, I think it's referred to as the dismal science because it's mm-hmm. boring. It's really dry. It's hard to understand. I tried to read uh man economy and state and it, It did not go well. So, I, uh, you know, it's not that I expect everybody to be economics majors. And I just want to talk to them on their level and understand that all progressives are also just people for the most part. You know, there are progressives that are seeking power and it is a way to seek power. But the nominal person who is progressive just, I think, wants the world to be a better place and wants poor people fed and sees that poverty and says i want to fix this so i'm like okay we're on the same team but let me kind of describe to you how poverty is the um, zero starting level of every human being on earth and how every human being on earth for the most part has had access to this vast capital wealth and how it's improving the lives of people and i find that's a really good angle to go with with progressives because the claim The ultimate claim is that we care about the poor and we want people to be doing better. Okay, if you want people to be doing better, then it's really hard to deny this evidence. Mm -hmm. And a website that I really enjoy is called humanprogress.org. And they have a lot of great information on there that you could uh, access. And, you know, then, of course, go verify on your own, because you should never just believe one website about anything. But uh, carry that information and then study that from there. And it becomes obvious that capitalist markets raise the standard of living of every human being on the planet. And then, you know, if you genuinely care about the poor, you'll find yourself saying, hey, maybe progressivism, maybe um, socialism,
1: maybe taxation is not the best way to handle this. Hmm. What do you think? I don't know. I just um, I haven't looked too much into it, but um, I feel like I should go read up that website because I don't like I don't even barely um, try to talk to People about economics anymore just because I don't mm-hmm. I'm not really super comfortable with yeah. it but um I just like defer them to other people who are better at it at the moment yeah
2: I I have a little of that myself because I think that there are things that for example Bob Murphy mm-hmm. already has described in so much wonderful detail and um there are great like animated videos on YouTube um, where he a, a question I get a lot from people is like how would we handle law enforcement? How would we handle like border security and things like that? And um, David Friedman uh, has a uh, animated video called "The Machinery of Freedom" on YouTube that is wonderful. Um, Bob Murphy has one called the law without government. And I don't think these guys animated it. It's uh, talks that they've given like at the Mises Institute, for example, and then someone has set an animation to them and that law without government video, it's about 15 minutes long. And I have sent that video to hundreds of people and I, you know, cause it's just like, man, you can't say it better than Bob does. Bob just lays it out so perfectly, so thoughtfully. And so I think it is important to, you know, defer to people who have a better understanding. I'm not, you know, I'm not an economist. These guys are. So I definitely think deferring to them. But there are great resources because people like the Mises Institute have made that available. And um, yeah, I am a big, I'm throwing their leaflets out
1: into the wind (laughs) digitally. But yeah, I'm littering. (laughs) (laughs) This is like totally, like I was trying to figure out a way to make a good transition into this because I also wanted to talk to you about this, but I'm just going to we're just going to go into <laughs> yeah, a totally different topic.
0: Let's throw a grenade.
1: So you're also, um, I guess, like in our circles, kind of famous for being a prepper on, on Twitter. Yeah. And you yeah. were talking about this way before any of like the the whole, you know, there's no products on the shelves or people are fighting over toilet paper now. You were talking about prepping for this type of situation way before. Yeah. Um,
2: for years, I've been bugging my friends and family about this for five years now, and no one listens to me. <laughs> yep,
1: and now everyone does.
0: Maybe they'll finally listen no. to you after all this.
2: I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I never wanted to be right. Let me just kind of put that out there. Yeah. I know that like, it seems like I might be like, ha, 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 I was right. And I mean, there's a little bit of that because I'm kind of petty. But mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, I would way have preferred things to remain in like an endless state of prosperity and for things to be available to everyone of course because people are suffering because of this so i i I take no delight in that idea Mm. but i am hopeful that it's a wake-up call because if this ends which hopefully it will and i believe it will um people have an opportunity now to say okay i have seen what a small taste of what can happen and i want to, i don't want to be caught with my pants down i'm gonna get orderly about this. And there's a practical way to be a prepper. You don't have to be a doomsday prepper. Uh, In my opinion, the doomsday preppers are the people who run for the shelves and clear everything out when they think it's doomsday because they didn't prepare anything for themselves. Whereas like a practical prepper is someone who said, okay, I understand that supply chains are fragile, that storms happen, that pandemics happen that governments are unstable maybe it's a good idea to keep a couple of things on the shelf just in case and you know that's all I'm really asking people to do
1: um I know you did a podcast episode kind of outlining the basics of what to maybe look for first such as like water and what type of foods to keep and everything um Mm -hmm. I was really interested in um your, I don't know, what what was the word that she used or the, what was the word that you used? um, Lotter? Yeah, lotter. Yeah. Um, What types of foods do you personally like to keep in your lauter
2: Right. So um, I like uh, tuna fish because it's a meat protein and it keeps in a can really well and it keeps for years. So that's kind of something that I always have a lot of on hand and it's also versatile. You can like do a lot with it and it's already cooked. Um, A lot of people kind of think about when they start prepping for the first time, they'll think about what they want to have indefinitely in an apocalypse situation. And that ends up causing people to buy a lot of foods that will spoil because they're just not going to use them. So I think at the end of the day, the best piece of advice I could give to anybody is get foods that you already eat things that come in a can that you already buy in a can and you already use. And then you can practice pantry rotation. You have some extra cans of that, the new cans going back, pushing the old cans forward so you're eating what will expire first. And once you start developing a pantry rotation pattern, over time just adding a single can a week to your lotter costs you maybe a dollar to $0.80 to add a single can to your grocery list. Over the course of a, a year, you would have 52 extra cans of food. Which you know uh, is is a healthy a, hel- a healthy storage for for you. Also, I recommend things like uh, rice and beans because they have almost indefinite shelf life. Especially white rice, which has been polished and it doesn't have um, a lot of the things that can go bad, like a lot of the the husk and things that are still on. Not the husk. What am I thinking of? There's a difference between. Br- Yeah, right. The brown rice and the white rice, which the white rice has been polished and basically has like an indefinite shelf life. Dry beans, as long as they're kept away from moisture, also have pretty much an indefinite shelf life. I have heard of beans lasting up to 25 years. I don't know that I would want to eat those beans in particular. (laughs) They might be kind of uh, crusty at that point, but it's, it just shows that there is a long, there are things that you can put in your water, your pantry, whatever you like to call it in They're just for safekeeping and they'll hold. You don't have to spend $200, $500 on a bucket of MREs, which are full of unfamiliar foods and things that would be strange to eat in a stressful situation. You want food that you already eat because it's comforting to you and you like it. And it's going to give you energy and make your morale better if you need to eat it. Um, There are people, you know, storms, hurricanes, all kinds of things that trap people in their homes for long periods of time. And they only can rely on what they have in their pantries. So what I'd like for everybody to kind of consider is maybe having, starting with three days. If I got stuck in my house for three days, but I have enough cans, rice, beans, bouillon, spices, whatever I need to just kind of keep things rolling for about three days until we get out of there. You start with three days, you build up to a week, you build up to a month, and then I don't generally prep past the three-month level. I think having anything more than that can be, like, you risk a lot of your foods kind of expiring and going bad and things like that. So I, and it took me two-ish years to get up to the three-month level because I wasn't, I I didn't want to spend past my disposable income on preps. That there are people that do that. They get obsessed with it. They spend over their amount on all kinds of you know, prepper materials and prepper gear and stuff like that. I just want people if they're stuck in their house because of a flood to have what they need to feed their kids. So I'm just on like on a real practical level, having about, you know, start with three days, three days puts you in a hugely better position than you would if you had no days and then work up from there a week, a month, three months. Once you have three months, you're in a really good position. If you have three months worth of food, you, you have a lot of, a lot more choices. At that point, if things go really wrong and it's rare for things to go really wrong.
1: Yeah. Unless we're actually going through the apocalypse or something like that, you know, then if it's last more than three months, maybe I could understand that. But yeah. in general, I guess you would say like a, a disaster wouldn't last more than, I don't know, a month or two if it was that bad.
2: But you can look at things like Hurricane Katrina, for example, where people were stuck in their homes for over a week, sometimes up to two weeks before people could get to them. And I kind of use that as a barometer like that's in modern times when the worst disasters I've heard of is Hurricane Katrina and um, Hurricane Andrew, which happened maybe 10 or 15 years before that. My family, some of my family was in that. And my aunt told us she remembers having to wash clothes at a kiddie pool in the backyard and that that was miserable labor. And so. Um, Something that I've done over the course of the last couple of years is build up labor labor saving type of things. So if you're going to buy things for this type of thing, I recommend the number one thing to have is a laundry roller. You guys might be familiar with an old timey device that has two rollers on it and you push clothes through it and crank it. Hmm. Until you've had to wring a pair of jeans out and feel the pain that exists in your shoulders the next day for the next three days, <laughs> you don't realize what a, a life-saving thing this roller is. But if you really got to buy some prepper gear, buy a laundry roller. And, you know, of course, you know, guns.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So <laughs> No one can steal your food. So no one can steal your food, but
2: after you buy your guns, after you buy your food, and and have your water secure, buy a laundry roller. Trust me, it will save your life.
0: <laughs> you, know, you know it's funny you were mentioning uh, you know buy guns or whatever, and also with the well with the laundry roller kind of makes you appreciate like back in the day. You know when the when the mothers and wives were wringing the clothes. Eh, yeah. like, oh man, <laughs> this, oh yeah, being a mom is not hard. Oh, okay, um, yeah. but anyway. Um, <laughs> You know, with the guns, whatever. Like, I, I've seen some people on, on Twitter saying, yeah, a lot of and I think Austin Pearson tweeted this. He was like, yeah, a lot of my uh, friends in California are saying, yeah, or asking about guns, whatever. Like, Yeah, yeah like, how
1: do I get a gun? And, and
0: apparently like that. they're surprised how hard it is to get it. It's like, yeah, that's what mm. we've been saying this whole time, dummy. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> you know?
0: yeah.
2: I'm familiar with that. Uh, um, I I live in Georgia, so thankfully our right. government has not been quick to shut things down. But California, I, I feel terrible for what's going on out yeah. there. And yeah, you're a little late on the trying to get a gun train. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah you know, longer than you expected now, especially now to get a gun. Yeah, because
0: apparently time. you can just walk in and get it and leave. I know. I, I guess mean, it's slow.
1: It's so easy. You can just yeah. go and get one. <laughs>
0: Yeah. There's
2: a phenomenal episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they try to get a gun. They try to get an AR-15 specifically because they insist that it's so easy, and they get stopped mm. at every turn, basically. That's um, surprising
0: from, from uh, Hollywood you know, doing that. I know the yes. show, so I haven't seen the episode, but I know you're yeah. talking about it. It's pretty interesting mm-hmm. that you know a Hollywood show would they, be like, yeah, let's do this
2: they do two gun episodes and they're both fantastic and they both, they rib kind of both sides of the argument, but the point that they make is solid in both episodes. So I, I love that show. It's not for, um, let me, let me put, find a way to put this. Um, it it is dark humor. Yeah. Yeah, So if, unless you're into sincerely irreverent and dark humor, do not watch that show. But if you are, I recommend, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's my favorite.
0: Yeah. That, that show is kind of, I don't know. It's been compared as like a, a much darker Seinfeld. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I it had some of those. That. Yeah. Cause some of, well, some of the stories are kind of, you know, I've never seen a story in anything before. It's kind of yeah. like Seinfeld back in the day. Why are they doing a show about, uh, you know, a contest? That's weird. Never heard of before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, you know, being in a Chinese restaurant for 30 minutes. What, what? What are you talking about here?
2: Yeah. They, um, um they definitely, they're not heroes. Is right. that I think yeah, the people exactly. don't understand is these are kind of the they're the villains of the show, but you're watching the villains, you know, and yeah. they're great to make fun of and say these people are terrible and they deserve everything that happens to them. And my husband made the comment to me the other day is like, how often do you think they're in court? <laughs> they don't show you the part where the cops come or the, they're in court the next day. And I'm like, yeah, probably a, a lot.
0: <laughs> the cops don't exist. And it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You can do whatever you want. Right. No <laughs>
2: like,
0: an anarchist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. anarchist society.
2: Yeah. They live their lives that way. That's for sure. But um, they always they like South Park. They use that yeah. dark humor to kind of make a good point. And I, I mm. always kind of like appreciate the points that they make.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, that's good that. You know, even if I'm sure the actors probably don't agree with one side, they probably are 100 percent on one side. It's at least, you know, cool that there are shows like, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia that will at least kind of, you know, and South Park, too, does the same thing. Well, they'll say, well, both of you look kind of, you know, weird and you know crazy when you're, you know, because basically, you know, the extreme of one side and the extreme of the other is definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, buddy heads and say, well, you know, maybe you're both at fault here somewhat, maybe. I don't know.
2: Comedians have always been the ones to point that out too. Right. I think that com- comedy has a very important role in our society, where kind of like brings the regular person aspect and like brings you back down to earth in a way. And um, Danny DeVito is like I—he's my favorite comedian of all time, like mm-hmm. him and Gilbert Gottfried. And the thing about both of these guys is that they really like they push that unexpected envelope to kind of shake you out of your. Uh, we get into these. Uh, Modes of thinking very very tight modes of thinking and they'll say something very outlandish outside of that that will kind of jar you For example, Gilbert Gottfried um, He had to do a stand-up show immediately after 9-11 happened and Everybody was in a terrible mood. This terrible tragedy had happened Like what could you possibly laugh at right after 9-11 and I don't know if you guys know what the aristocrats joke is But the aristocrat's joke is, uh, uh, yeah, it's a a thing in comedy where you get up and you tell this joke that starts about this family going into a talent scout and they call themselves the aristocrats. And then the guy says, what is your act? And basically it's on the comedian at that point to name off every nasty, raunchy, terrible act that they can possibly think of outdoing every comic who has ever done the aristocrat's joke before them. And so after 9-11 and this very somber mood had taken over, this man went on national television and did the aristocrats joke, which is about the most irreverent thing you can possibly do. And everybody died laughing. They needed it so bad. Everybody needed that release so, so much. And at that moment, I was like, Gilbert Godfrey, is my, my people forever. Mm-hmm. And so both he and Danny DeVito do that. And I think that's what Sonny tries to do is they really try to like shake you out of that stupor and yeah. say like, this is ridiculous, laugh at it, like, mm-hmm. even though you're not supposed to. And it's always something you're not supposed to laugh at. And I think that's the genuine gift of comedy to us. And especially people, um, you know, George Carlin, yeah, uh, had so many important things to say that he couldn't have said if he was a politician. He couldn't have said them if he was a respectable person, mm-hmm. but he got to say them because he was a comic. And that's the beauty of that position, that that people get to do that. That's what I love about Dave Smith is he's both a comic and, (laughs) uh, yeah, both a comic and a commentator. And it was like, man, he hits that, he hits it right down that middle line where I'm like, oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. And you, you just don't have to take him just seriously enough that it makes it okay for him to say those things.
0: Yeah, but for some people, Dave Smith's not a real comic, so.
1: Oh, yeah, I heard that, too. I don't, I'm like, he has specials and he does stand-up, but he's not yeah.
0: a real comic. Yeah, yeah. But he's not a real comedian. He's been doing it for 10, 15 years or whatever. Eh, not real, whatever.
2: He's more of a real comic than anybody who says that, so. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's, oh. I was
1: just going to say, like, going back to the prepping thing, I know that you're pretty interested in history. Is that kind of how you became interested in prepping? Is like,
2: Yeah. I think it definitely gives me a reason to understand that prosperity is cyclical, and that there are good times and high times, and that those, you know, eventually, peaks give way to troughs. And um, I am a really big fan of the Roman Empire, for example, because I think that the U.S. and Rome have a lot of things that are comparable to one another, Mm -hmm. and we uh see that Rome was the most advanced civilization. They had the most advanced military. They had, you know, basically all of the things that the US has going for it, Rome had going for it too. And they fell. And a really interesting time period in human history is what we call the Dark Ages. And it was a time of unprecedented human freedom when basically the biggest civilization and biggest government in the world fell down. And people had to make their own way. And it was hard they were able to carve out of that a different kind of uh a different kind of philosophy and a different kind of way of being that gave rise to a freedom-oriented society that we have today and the seeds of that were born i think in the fall of rome which is you know of course a, a very lengthy topic that we could get into for many hours but i think that for sure for sure history plays into my thinking as to why a person ought to you know, be prepared for things to fall down. But it's not, you don't have to go all the way back to the Roman Empire for that. You can go just as recently as like 1942, when we had rationing, um, the depression, when basically we had, we had 40 years in this country, where the government was like, you have to grow your own vegetables in your backyard, because things just aren't available. And that wasn't that was just last Sunday I was that little most of the last century. Mm -hmm. Those are our own grandparents, people who might still be alive today, who can tell us about those times of austerity. And we can maybe do ourselves a favor by learning the skills that our grandmothers knew. Our grandmothers survived those things because they knew how to do stuff. And today we have, you know, we have phones and we have Amazon Fresh and we have all these things just like at the push of a button. And we've exchanged for that our self-reliance. And if things fall down, and they do, we're not going to be able to take care of ourselves. And so that's what I want to encourage people to do. I want them to bake bread. I want them to split wood. I want them to do all of the things that are normal human activities, because the way that I'm not saying that technology is a bad thing. I'm not a Luddite or anything like that. I'm just saying we shouldn't exchange our human inheritance, the knowledge of our ancestors that helped them survive for thousands of years through all kinds of harsh things, the fall of empires, uh, natural disasters, famines, floods, plagues, all of that. Human beings survived that because they knew how to do things. The difference now is that a lot of people don't know how to do Shh. That's
1: the problem. (laughs) Like even even a lot of people now, like I've seen on Twitter, realizing like, oh, without my phone or any anywhere to go, I don't have any real hobbies or I don't even know how to cook like that kind of thing. Oops.
2: Yeah. And there's no excuse not to at least know how to chop some carrots and throw them in a broth or whatever it is that you, I mean, like I'm not even telling you got to have chickens or anything. I'm not saying any of that. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to move out of the city. I'm just saying have a little bit of self-reliance. You don't have to be self-sufficient in everything. It's almost impossible to imagine being completely just living in the woods on your own like that. But if you're self-sufficient, yeah it is the dream, isn't it? yeah, i, I I'm, my husband and myself have been moving toward that, but it's taken us years and and forethought and planning to move our life path in that direction. And we, you know maybe five or five to seven years before we ever owned the house that we live in, we made the decision that we want to be self-sufficient people and we want to be able to do things for ourselves. So hopefully in the next year or so, we'll have chickens. Um, we've already got several garden beds going. Um, we're well-versed and well-educated in the idea of growing your own food, bread, baking, those kinds of things. But it takes, it takes time. So we're all finding ourselves the possessors of a lot of downtime right now. So I encourage everybody who's listening to this is like, damn, I'm bored. Well, you have YouTube that has a university full of people who know uh, skills, skills of how to take care of yourself. Learn to take care of yourselves. And I'm not shouting at you guys necessarily, just kind of into the ether, just, well, please learn to take care of yourselves because I want you to thrive and I want you to survive and I want you to go on if anything should happen. And you can guarantee that things will happen. It's Anybody who knows history knows that that is a promise. The only constant in the universe is change. So don't rely on the, the current state of prosperity to continue forever because it it's guaranteed not to.
1: I guess the last question, you kind of mentioned it, um, just now, but the last question I wanted to ask you, um, was about your garden because Mm -hmm. like, that's something I'm interested in doing. Like whenever we ended up or we, whenever we get the chance to move, um, Mm -hmm. then I want to move into a place where I can start gardening. Yeah. Great. What type of food are you growing this season?
2: Mm. So, um, I grow a lot of vegetables. I live in Georgia. We get a lot of rain and a lot of sun. So things like peppers and tomatoes do really well here. Um, I'm, be- I'm benefited by the fact that we have a really long growing season compared to some other areas of the United States. We've basically got three growing seasons here. We've got two cold growing seasons, a so really long, warm growing season. Um, so when you guys go for your house, find a house with a backyard that faces the south because that's the way the sun crosses over the land. And your plants will grow better if you have a south facing yard. If you're growing in your front yard, find whatever, just make sure you have a fence around it because yeah. people will avail themselves of your vegetables without a fence. Borders, borders, mental borders are important. Um, yeah, so definitely find a south facing yard. And then also look to see what grows well in your area, because not every area grows everything well. Like I would love to grow olive trees, because I, you know, consume olive oil at a startling rate, but (laughs) um, our our environment just isn't good for it. So I don't invest any time and effort trying to make olive trees work here. But what what I can make work here, things like peppers, tomatoes, uh, gourds grow really well here. So anything like zucchini squash, uh, butternut squash, and so um, you know, it's I have a wide availability of different kinds of vegetables because I live in a subtropical climate, but you know my mother for example who lives in England she has a wide array of vegetables that I can't grow because she lives in a northern hemisphere and That's based on the declination of the Sun different vegetables grow well there for her She can get kale basically all year all year round and I'm very jealous of that because it's March and we already hit our first 80 degree day which means that I'm already out for kale, like that my, my, I planted some kale plants. They're probably not going to do well. I'm gambling. (laughs) Um, so yeah, just find out what works well in your area and focus, oh, sorry. And focus on that stuff. You know, just make, make what works in your area best work for you. Our climate
1: is probably similar, but to Georgia. Yeah, maybe a little bit drier, but it is – well, if we stayed in Dallas area, it would be pretty humid. But we're thinking about moving to a place that's more um, more dry, so I'll we'll have to yeah. look mm-hmm. into that. <laughs> I recommend looking into
2: the Garden of Eden method or Back to Eden gardening method for you guys. Living in a dry climate, it's where you cover your garden beds in wood chips. and It's a, it's a method that I use, but it keeps moisture in, and it doesn't allow the plants where the roots are to get too hot. So if you're in an environment that's like really arid and has a lot of sun, you want coverage on the ground. Everywhere you look in nature that has plants growing, they have coverage on the ground, be it in the form of grasses, be it in the form of clovers, or, you know, the the leaf litter that falls from the trees. Nowhere in nature where things grow is the ground uncovered. So the worst thing you can do for a garden is to just strip the earth off and then plant seeds in there because the biome that exists within the soil is living. Between the roots, the um, minerals, and the the fungus, the mycorrhizal fungus, which I know I'm kind of getting kind of sciency here, these all these things all have a relationship. And when you strip the cover off the earth, it's exposed to the wind, it's exposed to the sun, and it kills off the living component of the soil. And that's something that a lot of people, um, you know, they talk about only having a certain amount of harvests left within our soils now, and it's because of some some you know, terrible farm practices that we have where we strip off the covering of the soil. So I recommend looking into no-till permaculture, um, back to Eden. There are a lot of YouTube videos that are out there that do the back to Eden method. And I recommend, especially if you guys are in an arid climate with a lot of sun, a lot of wind that you avail yourself of that. I also live in a hot climate, so this is why I use back to Eden as well. But, you know, if you're in a northern environment, you might benefit more from hydroponics than you do from Back to Eden. There's a lot of different ways to grow plants. And, again, YouTube, University of YouTube, I'm a big fan of because it's free. And there are a lot of people who are already actively doing these activities who can show you how. So we all have this downtime on our hands. Look into some stuff that you guys can do to make yourselves more self-sufficient, and you won't be sorry for it.
0: Yeah, I know, um, you know, especially for her. You know she was looking into that kind of stuff and also like the, the minimalist type of lifestyle i don't know if it's like similar or not mm-hmm. but it's kind of you know kind of uh, being self-sufficient like you're
1: you know, you've been, uh, yep. been saying self-sustainability yeah and,
0: stuff. and yep. it's um you know it, it's like this whole time like you said with all this downtime that we're, that we're having you know because the government's forcing people to stay in their homes and all that which i don't know the whole that whole thing is just weird how the government can just be like okay you're done you can't do anything it's just yeah. it's crazy how, powerful the government is yeah and how little power the individual has but anyway um yeah it's 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 pretty uh i don't know what i'm trying to say but it makes you kind of think about all of this that we've been talking about you know just trying to um you know because i know for me personally like like, you know, she cooks or whatever. And so, when I'm, if I have to cook, I, I'll just probably look at a kitchen or whatever. I'm just going to be like, <laughs> I cook maybe one or two, three things, you know, but I don't know yeah. if I can cook so hey, many you can other make an things. Egg, so, that's good. Well, yeah, I can make an egg. Yeah, that's true. You're already
2: doing better than like 80% of the population if you could try. <laughs> yeah. I think it's serious. And I'm gonna try that uh, peanut butter and egg sandwich. I'm yeah, working yeah, up
0: the
1: yeah, courage good. to do that. Uh,
0: you know, peanut butter or uh, I use almond butter because I don't know for some reason I'm alert I wish I wasn't allergic to peanut butter because peanut butter
1: I, makes them break out.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I know. wish it didn't, but right. yeah. But peanut butter and egg. Um, I don't. I guess I don't know what kind of bread. I guess any better would be good, right?
1: Yeah. Pretty much i mean we used like either white bread or sourdough something like that okay all right yeah i'm gonna yeah. give that a try but you know uh we're meant to
2: specialize that's why we yeah. pair off as human beings and 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 women do the cooking and and you know men chop the wood it's kind I'll of
1: i know it's i know great. i know
2: but there i mean come on is there <laughs> nothing better looking than a man chopping wood i i don't think there is and this is how human beings is, existed for thousands of years and this idea that. um You know men and women are exactly i don't want to say like unequal we're not unequal we're just different there's diversity and specialization and that's that's survival we've survived because of that so it's okay that someone handles most of the cooking and someone handles most of the hunting that's kind of the designing of the design of it in my opinion um but i think that the more self-sufficient things you can do as a pair that You know, you don't have to rely on the state or a grocery store or another organization outside of yourselves for. and you develop those skills over time. So don't beat yourself up for not knowing it, but say, hey, you know what? I wouldn't know how to make a loaf of bread if I were deprived of it from the store. If I go to the store and the shelves are bare and there's no bread there, can I go home and make a loaf of bread? You can, but you have to teach yourself how and you're going to want to know that before the bread goes off the shelves. So as I said, you know, we can all kind of use this as an opportunity and a wake-up call to say, hey, I need more skills. I need to know how to do these things. And, you know, fortunately, I live in a time of prosperity. Hopefully, we'll get back to that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I live in a time of prosperity so I can avail myself of this knowledge. Um, Jordan Peterson is a person I heard this from, and I love the saying, it's make hay while the sun shines. You can't make hay when it's raining, right? So, you know, do that now, you know, while, while things are good, while you have a full stomach and all of those things, learn how to make your own food so that if you're ever deprived, you don't have to show up in a line at a FEMA camp somewhere and say, oh, please, Mr. Government, please take me in because I have no way to take care of myself. That single bit of self-ownership can keep you freer than, you know, a lot of other things. You know, and I'm not trying to like downplay the importance of like firearms, which are extremely important in the cause of keeping yourself a free individual, but also the ability to sustain your own life. Can you clean your own water? Can you make your own bread? Can you grow your own vegetables? You know, chicken (laughs) and chickens, goats, all of those things. And the more and more you can progress toward that lifestyle and more of that you can build up for yourself. If things fall down, I want to be in a state that if things fall down, it's not going to affect my life. I'm going to get to keep going on just as I had before. And you just make yourself a little bit better at that every day. One little step of being just a little more self-reliant tomorrow than you were today. Because you learned a new skill. You you, you saved something. You put a can up. Whatever it is. Just consider it an investment in yourself as a human being. I wish to own myself. And I can't own myself unless I can sustain myself. So that would be the sort of main theme of what I'm trying to bring to the table.
1: I feel like that's like what I'm trying to find, like people who are like-minded to that type of thinking, because I feel like um, anarchism and self-sustainability go really hand in hand. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And community is so important. You know, we don't have
2: that connection to our neighbors that we used to back during the era of the depression, people knew all of their neighbors and they all took care of each other. We don't all have that anymore so even if we're having this community online we're developing that community aspect where i can teach you guys things you guys can teach me things that i didn't know before and we we're a uh social animal you know so i support community not communism just uh mm-hmm. we we need each other in a voluntary way, you know, and through that voluntary means, we can benefit each other and teach each other new things. And you know, I've I've spent a lot of um, you know the last five years or so of my life developing these skills, and now it's becoming apparent to a lot of other people that they need them, and I want to avail. I want to avail myself of them if they need that. So I plan on doing a lot more um, prepping oriented and self sustainability oriented podcasts and episodes and things like that. So hopefully I can put out some content that um, people find valuable, but also a lot of that's already there. It's already on YouTube there. If you just type, uh, build a prepper pantry into YouTube, you're going to find hundreds of videos of people who have also been doing this for years. And are able to tell you what to do. And you know, a canning kit is like seven bucks at the store. And that and in just that seven dollar purchase will give you the ability to grow any vegetable you have in your yard, put it into a can and put it on your shelf. That that level of self-sustainability is only gonna cost you seven or eight bucks. And it could mean your life. So I encourage everyone to take those seemingly cheap steps now while they're cheap and not. Worry about them later when there's nothing on the shelf, you know. We have a really good opportunity here—a wake-up call—and I hope that people will avail themselves of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a—I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah, uh, good sum good, up of yeah.
1: of all the topics that we talked about. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. If if you want to plug your uh, show or your Twitter or any other social media platforms, um, yeah. Your... So.
2: I have a WordPress blog that I write in occasionally. Um, I am hoping to get a lot more uh, prepper oriented stuff going in there. It's called the libertarian kitchen, Witch. Mm-hmm. I am also on Twitter. You can follow me there and I'm pretty active at anarchy toward and you know, if you have any questions, just shoot me a message and I'll try to help you out there. I'm on YouTube, the Jessica green show um, which you can find the link to on my Twitter as well and you know i'm a really open person so if you have questions about how to get started please don't hesitate to contact me i really want to help people on this journey i think that the more people that we can get in a self-sustainable lifestyle the more people we can convince that the state is not the way to take care of ourselves we have to take we have to personally take care of ourselves through self-responsibility so i'm open to helping
1: anybody on that journey that i can sweet all right. And we'll have yeah. all the links in the show notes and the description. So anyone who needs those links, they'll be available. Yeah. Just, just uh, it. send all, right. all that
0: stuff and we'll make sure to. I think I have it already. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. All
0: right. Well, Great. thank you everyone for uh, tuning in and for uh, watching or listening. However uh, you're, you're doing this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on. I really appreciate your insight. And, Anytime, uh, guys. Yeah. This was fun. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All All right, right, now we're gonna
0: end the show.
1: Right, bye guys. (laughs) Bye (laughs) bye.